hi, happy Easter, everyone. You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. On this episode of the EdUp Experience, please welcome our guest, Dr. Christina Powers. Dr. Powers is president at the Institute for the Effectiveness in Higher Education. IEHE is a data analytics powerhouse. They work with senior leaders to deliver clear, practical information needed for informed decision-making. Now, let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is Elvin Freitas. This is Joe Salustio. And this is Elizabeth Liva. And on the line, we have Christina Powers. Christina, how are you doing? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate your time. Very nice. So where are you located right now? I am in beautiful, sunny San Diego, although not so sunny today. A little bit of rain. Oh, wow. San Diego. I've heard that's like the greatest weather in the entire world. It's beautiful. I've never been, but I heard it's amazing. That's fantastic. Well, enjoy that weather. That's great. So we want to dive right in uh, right away. There's a lot going on, obviously. At uh, this time of the recording, you know, there's a coronavirus going on. So a lot of stuff is going on in higher education. So we're excited to talk to you. But before we get going, um, please tell us more about the Institute. And, and basically, you know, you're the president there. Uh, uh, so uh, let us know what is exactly it's all about, the history and your role and your responsibilities there. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much. Great, great question. So you're right. I'm the president for the Institute for Effectiveness in Higher Education. And what we do is try to help institutions that need to have some additional data analysis to help better understand their institutions, improve student success. And as many people know, data analysis is pretty expensive. And so sometimes yeah. institutions simply don't have the, the resources um, or person power to have somebody on staff that has either advanced skills or maybe an extra set of hands. You might have one IR institutional research person, but might not be able to afford three during high peak times. And so we help institutions lift some of that burden by utilizing some of our data analytic tools, as well as temporary institutional research services, which includes data analysis, accreditation support, so that you really can, can um, serve your, your data needs when, when you need them. The, the example that I give is we all have had a time where we've had to call a plumber or an electrician and are so thankful to have a really good plumber or electrician when, especially when you're plugging in something or turning on that faucet. But nobody has a plumber or electrician on their individual home staff, unless maybe you've got one in the family, you're lucky enough for that one. You don't employ one personally all the time, but you utilize them as you need to. So that's kind of the premise, uh, um, a brief overview of the Institute. Gotcha. And in your role there, just real quick, just follow up on your role as president, what's kind of the main uh, issues you're trying to push? Yeah, so right now we're focused on um, a a couple of exciting things. One is creating some data analytic tools that help institutions advance their understanding as well as, um, as their strategic mission and goals. 
And so what that enables institutions to do is not to pay for the development of the cost of, a, of let's say, our tool reality check, um, which helps better understand which of their student groups are outperforming and which are underperforming based upon an institution's unique characteristics. It would be super expensive for an institution to develop this all on their own and rather an institution gets to enjoy a much lower cost and get to and get to utilize it immediately. The other piece that we're doing, I believe, in contributing back to higher education um, and in doing that, um, sharing resources, tools, information, things that are you know, quote free. Um, to help to help support professional development of uh, of um, not only higher education leaders but also institutional researchers, and then we of course have some custom consulting. Um, so if if you've exhausted your own internal efforts, we can we can uh, look a little bit deeper and see what we can do to help supplement. So I'm developing um, all of those components with um, with a few other um, talented higher education professionals. And really trying to emphasize um, emphasize good quality products that really help institutions move that needle. Gotcha. That sounds great, Christina. This is Joe. How are you? Good, thanks, Joe. So, so uh, I'm going to have uh, you know uh, uh, just a couple of questions. The first one is, yeah. would it now would it be safe to say you have your uh, PhD? Is that correct? I do. Would it be safe to say that that was a quantitative study? For, or did you do a qualitative? My, yeah, Your dissertation. I, I, I did a qualitative, or excuse me, a quantitative analysis um, using some federally restricted access uh, uh, to some, some data. So um, I did enjoy a lot of data analysis in, uh, in my time at Florida State. Right, and I, I figured that and that was supposed to be funny, but it didn't come off that way when I asked it. <laughs> Only, it was like crickets, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I thought that might have been a cool joke, but considering you talk about data all the time. But you know, I figured I, that you're a quantitative, uh, a quantitative professional with all your your love of data. But my question actually, I was with you, Joe. I was you with, with you. I was with you. Thank you, Liz. I, I appreciate you. that. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. A little slower on the uptake. Yeah, that's right. I, well, maybe it's just the it's the host in this. Case. Case, it's me uh, but but um, I wanted to um, if you could lay out the landscape for for us you know because I think we're going to get into data and its importance to higher education in general um, so my re my real first question is is how do you see uh, higher education in terms of of data you know because I'm assuming you work with a number of schools or have been in a number of mm -hmm. schools there are probably some that are do, that are using data very well there are that could be huge schools or could be small schools using data very well and there's probably huge schools and small schools not using data very well what does the landscape look like out there when it comes to institutional research and data collection and data use great great question because we're we're just building more and more data every single day right you know whether you're on right. linkedin or at your institutions and there's more data collection from every card swipe and so one of the challenges that institutions really and and higher ed organizations need to think about is what data is very meaningful for collection rather than just collecting everything for the sake of collection and the sake of well, we might need it if, just in case, that's a terrible 
approach to to um, to data. There has to be a strategy with that data and how you're collecting it because it takes time to collect that information. It's getting it's gotten a lot cheaper to house that data, but it's expensive to parse through that data from either an an IT person or an institutional researcher and really find the right data point. So I'll give you a, an example. I was at an institution where I asked the analyst, give me pull the start date for, for students. And the analyst said, well, which one? And I thought, well, how many start dates could there possibly be? There should, there, there should be one and only one start date. Mm. And so I said, well, give them all to me, I guess. I don't know which one I want. And so a couple of days later, we finally settled on one of the five variables as being the start date of the truth because they all actually had, in some cases, had some different information for different students. And so dissecting that and knowing which variable to use, what, you know, what a, what a waste of time, but good exercise to figure out which variable should be used. Interesting. So, um, so, ahead, well, let Joe. me ask you the follow-up because, uh, yeah. you know, staying on the same, same, top, same topic, going on, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there, uh, you collect data because it really it increases your level of business intelligence, right? You can move quicker or with more purpose or more strategy. So for, for the listeners, I was researching some of your background publications and there's this concept of metrics hell. And what's the difference between effective data collection and use and metrics hell? What, what, what is that contrast? Uh, and what does the concept of metrics hell look like to, to an institution that uh, may be caught up in that? Yeah. Is that H-E-L-L? So, hell? H -E -L -L? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. the opposite H of heaven. Yeah. Okay. H-E double hockey sticks. You got it. Um, <laughs> I love it. That's a good one. <laughs> So um, metrics hell was uh, a term I found in, a, in an article from, um, oddly enough, the provost at Florida State, my, my graduate alma mater. And um, I think it's super, super tough to be a senior level administrator right now, um, even apart from the coronavirus. But uh, prior to that, you have all of these metrics and all of these data points, and they're all, some are working with each other and some are actually contradictory. Some departments are making their own set of metrics from shadow databases or materials that are that they're housing on their on their own computer. And so then data people are kind of pitted against each other of whose number is right. And as a senior le leader in, in an institution, which number do you believe? Because they're all kind of confusing. So I really yeah. appreciate you bringing up this point, Joe, because context couldn't be more paramount. Every number is, is actually right, but we need the context around the numbers in order to better understand them. So if I say 42, 38, 67, are those temperatures? Is that age? Or are those graduation rates? And we need the people who best understand that data, who are closest to how that data got constructed, the people who are working directly with the students or the faculty or wherever that data came from. We need them to really tell that, that, that data story that goes along with, that, with those data points. That's interesting. The data story 
um, that that's a, a good concept. Liz, I'll pass it over to you. Sure. I This is all really fascinating to me because I come from the faculty perspective. So I love the idea of collecting, collecting the data and determining how policy, especially policies that affect students, can be improved and different things that we can do from uh, a faculty perspective that might help us to do our jobs better and affect retention, affect graduation rates, and our outcomes overall as an institution. So to follow up on Elvin's question about some of the services that you provide as an organization, the reality check that really kind of stood out to me, when you think about gathering that data and providing that data to the institution, underperforming or overperforming students and how that data can be provided to the school to determine ways that they can improve how they're delivering um, classes or supporting students or whatever the case may be. So that was my question in terms of how are you collecting this data? Is that like surveys? Are you looking at um, outcomes and courses? And then how does that translate into actual policy? Because in my mind as a faculty member, I'm always thinking a lot of times we don't really work with the administration per se, we're adjacent to them, we're more so directly working with the students. So when you as an organization are coming in and collecting this data, how does that really work in real life terms as far as helping to improve student outcomes, such as you're identifying students that are underperforming, okay, now what? Like how does the university typically, how are you able to give the university that information, maybe without them being defensive, and then translate that into real life policy that's gonna help the students in my classroom? Yeah, that's a great question, Liz. Thank you. So the great news about Reality Check is that institutions have already submitted their data to IPEDS, which is the Integrated Post-Secondary Education Data System. And this is part of an annual data collection on about 13 different surveys, um, including graduation outcomes, um, enrollment, human resources, finance, and the like. And so the particular survey that I use for reality check is iPads outcome measures. So once upon a time, I'll go, we'll have a little story time. Once upon a time, <laughs> institutions um, only were looked at for their first time, full time bachelor's degree seeking student graduation rates. I know that's a mouthful, but that's basically <laughs> students, who, students who went from high school to college and looked at their graduation rates as a cohort. You can imagine when that, when that metric came out in the mid 90s and compared to now in 2020, that many students transfer institutions. It just, sure. they simply don't look like, like those, traditional, uh, those traditional students. So mm -hmm. iPads began collecting data on transfer students and their outcomes. And, um, and this falls in the category of be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Enough organizations and groups and higher education institutions complained that that older antiquated way wasn't quite working for them and didn't tell their whole story. So now institutions have the ability and requirement to report on all of their undergraduate students. The problem is, is that institutions aren't really using this data. And there's some theories yeah. why, and that might be a whole other podcast, but oh, yeah. 
<laughs> but in terms of how I'm collecting this data, I'm utilizing something the institution already has. So no more new additional resources are already go are going to this this report. Gotcha. There's so you're using the iPads data to, to exactly to, to provide this reality check. Gotcha. Okay. And we take the data and then utilizing the institution's unique characteristics uh, in terms of um, uh, what type of institution they are, how large they are, as well as the students that they serve, and help to un uh, effectively do some regression analyses. I'm, I'm, hopefully, I'm, I'm speaking to some data wonks here as well. We do <laughs> so. some regression. <laughs> we, we do some regression analyses and, and determine. Uh, which of the 12 student groups, and so we're breaking each institution's data into groupings so that we can better tell, go back to the institution and say, here's the groups you're doing well in, and here's the groups that you might need to get some additional support in. So Liz, from a faculty perspective, because you were, you were mentioning that, I find that many institutions um, breathe a sigh of relief when they hear that they are doing well with some student groups that they couldn't quite articulate previously. And for the students, student groups that they might be underperforming, that gives them a roadmap of some, some places to dig in further. And then the reality check report also does give them some action steps so that they're not just left with these numbers and now what do I do with them. So let me stop there, Liz. That's that. That's uh, Ms. Joe again. It's a really interesting. I mean, data itself is really interesting. And as you're talking about institutional data and going in and working with the universities, and I always go back to the 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 people part of data, right? Because it's hard to get data without people, and you can have systems, but somebody's got to get it and run it. And if you're going in. Uh, uh, Christine, if you're going in to help an institution, how hard is it to get data to to help an institution? Now, and the reason I ask that is because one of the the, the most common things I hear of um, when I talk to institutions or, or friends and acquaintances that they 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 continually complain that data isn't shared. And so you think mm -hmm. about this yeah. unit, this giant university system potentially, or even a small university where data and marketing and data and enrollment and data and student services isn't shared amongst departments. How, how have you encountered that level of, of um, I don't know what to even call it, but you know, a, a lack of collaboration when it comes to data to, to make it work? Mm -hmm. And have you been able to go in and facilitate greater visibility? A lot of questions in there. Yeah, <laughs> I love them all. <laughs> um, I love that you brought up the people aspect because I think that's where um, that's an often misunderstood, overlooked aspect of of the data. That um, data data analysts tend to be a little bit more introverted rather than extroverted, and that this piece can get lost in that translation. So um, valuing the, the, the expertise, the context that, that the person who, quote, owns that data and is really that data expert and gathering from them how that information should be used. I think um, 
I've been at institutions that have um, that have really incredible sharing practices, and then others that it is a little a, a little bit of hoarding um, that they uh, will share. They'll have their data, but not not share with others. And I think that really comes from people don't want their data that they know really well and has a lot of intricacies. They don't want it to be misunderstood, taken the wrong way, and probably worse yet, have a bad decision made because somebody mm. misinterpreted what that data meant. Um, and they really want to ha have an opportunity to, to share, educate, uh, educate others on how best to use that data. So Joe, I think you're spot on coming back to the people and getting the right people in the right seat on the bus to help facilitate that and, and so that people's voices are heard. That is certainly key and one of the things they focus on when, when working at an institution. Thanks, Christina. So I, I wanna jump in real quick, uh, Christina, cause I'm very curious about this aspect of marketing branding recruitment um enrollment so when you work with these schools are you seeing uh, trends or um uh, something in the data that that different schools of different sizes are, are using that they're actually gathering the data telling the story making a correct decision based on the data the correct information and that is helping them to improve their brand, to market their school, to enroll new students. Do you see any patterns, any trends out there? That's, Alvin, you're asking the, the tough question. Uh, <laughs> but the good ones, the good, the good ones for, for sure. So institutions have um, continuously expanded their portfolios, their, their reach to different student groups. And as a result, we have institutions that have ended up being a lot of things to a lot of different students rather than mm -hmm. having yeah. more niches. Yeah, and good call. Mm -hmm. in those niches, what we lose when institutions become a little bit more generic rather than niche focused is it's harder for students to differentiate between well this institution looks just like this one so how do how do I compare mm -hmm. so when you ask about what trends what data is being used I think it's really really hard for admissions and marketing folks that are at those institutions that have a more broad approach, which is not a bad thing. It just mm -hmm. makes it makes the job harder for those admissions folks and marketing uh, team to to um, dig into the data because you don't have one or two groups of students. You might have twenty or thirty different in student profiles yeah. and student personas that you need to distill and then communicate. So I, I think as we move forward, more and more institutions might be looking at honing in on their niche for differentiation rather than expanding their, um, their populations instead. No, that's very interesting. Okay, thanks. And then um, what about, I guess, as a kind of an extension of that, what about everything that's going on right now, I guess, in terms of branding and marketing and students' perception of school? What about in terms of crisis management? We all know right now 
there's a lot going on with the coronavirus and schools just trying to navigate this situation and, and determine how they are going to effectively address this crisis. Is there support that you can provide, your organization can provide in terms of data that you can um, help them to distill through to determine what the best way is to um, assist their particular student groups that they have or, or what role might you be able to play in terms of crisis management at a time like this? I wondered who was going to ask the, the coronavirus <laughs> question. Thanks, Liz. <laughs> I knew it was coming. It um, was coming. You knew it. In institutional researchers, we have never, ever been called at two in the morning to come and do urgent pivot tables. Never, ever. We have <laughs> never, we have, we have oh. never been called out of, uh, you know, out of bed in the middle of the night to, you know, run regression analyses. And it's just not <laughs> happening. But, so those aren't our roles. Instead, we, data people, we generally play the roles of analyzing what's happened after, what, how can we help, you know, once kind of the initial urgent matters have, have, um, have been attended to, and and I don't, and that doesn't mean that that we're all sitting around twiddling our thumbs right now, um, because for example, some some institutional researchers, myself included, we're providing help and support in the terms of um, surveys to help collect up important data and information about uh, getting information out to our students and then asking them questions back so we we can help um, help them through this this um event as well but right. at some point i was thinking like because i was thinking like in terms of like students attitudes toward online learning a lot of them their attitude is skewed because they've never experienced it or they've heard mm -hmm. negative things about it so i'm sure yeah. you guys could play a role in terms of helping to kind of quell some of this anxiety that students faculty even the administration are like all running around like oh my god you know online learning and for those of, of us joe myself that have worked in online learning for you know a decade it's like hey actually pretty you know it's good <laughs> it's not going to be the worst thing in the world but they might not know that because they haven't you know had any contact with it exactly and so we need to be thinking about these questions to analyze and i kind of think about it like myth busting i think you've got a great myth right there that some people yeah. think that online learning isn't isn't as um as desirable as maybe face-to-face right. But once right. students and, and faculty experience it, well, what is the truth? And after things subside and that we have a moment to catch our breaths and, is, and it's an appropriate time to collect up some of those more experiential pieces, might we learn some things that some students thought this was great and some faculty too. Right. And, and others okay. may say, this was just not for me and I'm so glad this is over. But then what sure. opportunities does that then present for the institutions that they can offer um, maybe more of a mix of, of services to future sure. students? Because we've got some retention and graduation questions ahead as, um, as this has had an impact on all, all higher ed participants. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and sure. I, I wanna jump in again. I have a really big one for you, Christina, because um, I've worked uh -oh. at so many different schools. <laughs> yeah. I've worked at so many different schools. And I got to be honest with you, data collection, analyzing data, I, very few professionals enjoy that part of the job. Very few that I have come across. And so I've always heard 
that is not fun. That is boring. It's like, <laughs> why are we doing it? They don't even use it anyway. They have all this others not using it. So, so here's, here's my question for you. How do we make data fun? How do we make it exciting? How do we make it where people say, yes, let's collect this data. Yes, let's figure this out. Let's try this. We're going to use this. We're going to make changes based on what we find. Is there a way? Do you have a magic wand where you can do that? <laughs> I mean, what do you, I, mean what do you I, I, I think your enthusiasm right there has just got us, got us right on the way. So getting people <laughs> excited about, about data. Um, you're, you're right, and data has been kind of given a bad reputation. There is a yeah. difference between data and information. So data on its own, is, it, can't, it can't really come alive. We need to take data and turn it into information. And that's where that context, and back to Joe's point about people and engaging people, we've almost gotten um, really excited about collecting up a lot of data, but we've missed the opportunity to turn that into information. We're beginning to see waves and, um, and purposeful movement over into turning it into information. It's also, it also takes a lot of time to do that yeah. because it takes more yeah. time to engage more people and work with people. And we're just not really patient as a society, but the alternative is having a lot of stuff that doesn't feel like we're doing anything with and we have a big data team over here and what are they doing and and dispelling those myths because those, those folks are are doing a lot of great work hey christina no, the, this is joe again so uh, i was looking through um through your website instituteforeffectiveness.org and um there's the quote on here by Peter Drucker a bunch of times that what what gets measured gets managed. You try to say that three times fast. Um, but <laughs> you, um, when you really think about data and you think about, you know, this is uh, under the section in, in the website talking about getting in shape for 2020, getting your metrics in shape. Right. So there's I'm assuming and this is because I've been in the situation where I've overmanaged data. I've had so many pieces coming at me from so many different areas, all important, right? All important pieces of data. But then, you know, I, I end up what I end up doing is going, I, I don't, I don't want to look at that. I, I need this yeah, one I, thing or I need yep. this two things and forget all yep. the rest of that stuff. I, I don't have time to, to, to look at it. But I don't know that that's effective either because maybe I really did need something, but I just got so frustrated I stopped looking at it. What, in your opinion, um, for as a tip for us, what uh, strategy do you recommend to help get your data in shape as we move into the next decade of, of colleges and universities and, and in our evolution? What can we do now in the short term to help us get, get ready for the long term? Yep, great, great question. So gotta be honest with yourself how how is this data point how is tracking this what value am i really getting out of it if you're not really doing anything with it then why why are we spending time looking at it and yeah. maybe only one person finds great value and that's fine it doesn't need to be this collective we all voted and you know the number of purple pens on a campus is our metric and that's what we're going to use <laughs> Um, and, and we're going to love that metric, but if, if it makes actionable results and, or leads you to actionable results, I'm even going to push people a little bit further and is aligned with the strategic plan. 
if we're all doing our own thing in our own separate silos and not in alignment with the strategic plan, it makes it harder for that data metric to, um, to be as valuable. So it comes with that honesty and that's where some group think or some group effort to say, well, are we using that data? The other little trick that you could use, and this is, a, and, and you gotta be careful on which metric you use this on, is stop making the metric and see who, who asked about it. I like that. That's my favorite tip. It's a little sneaky, <laughs> right? Because if it's, an, if it's a truly, truly important one, so you can't do it with the really, really big ones, okay? So, so ground rule. But if you do it with the ones that you're like, I'm not sure, you will know really quickly because when people don't see that metric that they use, they will let you know, right? They're sending you emails, they're sending you texts, when can I get this? And then that's some of your proof that people actually are using it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you from personal experience, that is something I have used uh, um, in, you know, transitioning to a new institution. And, and uh, I would never recommend that on the EdUp experience, that this is endorsed by the EdUp experience. But certainly <laughs> if you would like to try it out, it does, it does work uh, to, to, to your point, Christina, it's, you know, let's just sort of turn this off for a week and see who comes around asking for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and you'll hear the boots uh, or the steps coming down the hall of the person going, where's my report? Or, or <laughs> it's just complete radio silence. And you wonder why you're investing time and resources wow. into creating something that nobody ever looked at. Right. So it's exactly. a really interesting tactic. Totally agree. Now, Liz, you have any last questions you want to, you want to ask? Yeah, I, I think my biggest question, you're, you gather so much data and your organization is really has, you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in higher ed just based on everything that you're able to gather, data that you're able to gather through, from the iPads and everything that we collect in, at an institutional level. What do you see in terms of um, things that we need to do better in general in higher education? Are there things that really stick out as far as, well, these are some directions that we need to go in. These are things that across the board we're recommending at many of the institutions that we work with. Is there anything that's a trend in terms of things that need to be addressed or is it just all over the place depending on the type of school and the type of programs? I think there's one thing that is a common tie. So it's of course gonna be different for every institution, but there is one thing that is actually a common tie that institutions would agree we don't have enough data on. So I know I just got done telling you that there's a lot of data and you've agreed with me, but there's a piece that we're really lacking and it's connecting what's happening in the institution to the post-college world and so what's uh, happening after college. Mm -hmm. And so employment data is of course a big topic and there is an organization who has all of that data they're not willing to share, which is the Social Security Administration. And I get it. And we need to hopefully um, over the next decade find ways to better access data that tells that employment story. We certainly have resources of alumni, alumni surveys that we can ask students, but of course not every student responds. We can utilize National Student Clearinghouse to see what proportion of students go on to graduate school. And those are great pieces of information that help to increase our knowledge rate or as NACE has described it, the knowledge rate of what happens to students afterwards. But also the time frame in which we ask questions about students. So for example, 
we have um, nearly 7 million adults in the education system. Um, so these are, these are students who are not going directly from high school to college. And so their traditional trajectory um, for, for finding a promotion or a new job, because many of them are going to, going to work while they're going to college, mm -hmm. it may not be a traditional six months after graduation survey. It might be a year later or two years later. And so we've got, a, in higher ed, we've got a lot of work to do mm -hmm. in this understanding post-college outcomes wow. and, um, and the workforce, uh, workforce space. Okay, awesome. So um, I would love to wrap up and I'm gonna ask you a question I'd like to ask all of our guests uh, so far. Thank you for your time, Christina, we really appreciate it. So two questions. Uh, first question is, how would you like to be remembered? You can talk about professionally and personally, whichever one you want. And the second question is, what does the future of education look like to you? Those are, those are some good wrap-up and big wrap-up <laughs> questions, Elvin. Wow, um, good ones. Um, how, how I'd like to be remembered, you know, I think professionally um, for helping institutions leverage what they already have. Um, for folks who know me, my common phrase is use what you've got first and then let's go out and buy new, make new, do something new. I find many institutions already have a lot of good stuff to work with on their plate. Um, they're coming to work every day doing really good and hard work. There's got to be some there there. So that's helping, good, that's institu a good point. Yep. helping institutions really. to highlight that. Um, I think um, personally, I'd like to be remembered for, um, for helping to elevate um, the, the work and passions of, of my friends, family, colleagues. Um, because we, there's enough work to go around. We, and we certainly don't need to, um, need to have turf wars. Um, mm -hmm. Your second part of your question, Alvin, about the, the future of higher education, you know, when we booked this, this, uh, this podcast, it was, I don't even know if coronavirus was on, on the, yeah. the news radar. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so I think, in fairness, it's a new day. A, a new mm. world. I'm rethinking uh, even my own organization and how we're approaching um, and the work that we're that we're approaching with institutions. I think institutions are thinking differently, and they now have yeah. a whole new set of different challenges. And that's not to say that the existing work that organizations are you know had three weeks ago is is um, needs to go by the wayside but it probably needs to be rethought about and restructured in a way that fits, um, fits the challenges that presidents and, and other higher ed leaders are facing. I think for the next couple of years, this, hopefully the, the coronavirus is a, uh, is a short event, but it will have yeah. longer term consequences that, yeah, um, that we'll definitely. need to think about. True, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, yeah. Christina. We really, Thank really you. appreciate it. Likewise. This was super fun. True true to form, you uh, as as described. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of fun, Christina. Thank you. As advertised. Thank you, Christina. Take care. Thanks Have so much. Weekend. Have a great weekend. Okay. Thank bye bye. You Take care. Bye.
So there you have it, our conversation with Christina Powers. So, Joe, what do you think? You know, uh, I really like Christina. And, you know, let me tell you guys what, what I really like about her is um, data. Like, Elvin, you asked her a question about making data fun. Now, here's somebody that has dedicated her entire life to data, yeah. data collection, <laughs> data analysis. Yeah. And probably, yeah. you know, when you look across the spectrum of higher education jobs, you know, for, for, for a lot of us, that's like the one job you look at and go, mm, yeah, that's, I don't want to do that, you know? <laughs> so I have a lot of respect for her and, you know, um, we didn't get it, get into it too far, but she's a, she's been or is a national trainer for iPads. Uh, she's a, a WASC research fellow for student achievement and she's, you know, has her own, you know, consulting business. So a powerhouse in the world of data and, da- and, and analysis for higher ed. So I really enjoyed the conversation with her. Liz, what did you think? Yeah, absolutely. Same thing. And I, and I think the fact that she's able to break her data collection and the methods and, and how they're able to use that data down into the most simple terms, that's very helpful because I feel as though sometimes, like you said, you get overwhelmed. You get so much information and how do we use this information and is this really relevant and do I need all these different data points? But just from talking to her, I can tell that, you know, her rapport that she has and her ability just to break it down into like a story or something like an anecdote or something that makes it very manageable to understand. I think that the work that she's doing and, and will continue to do, I'm sure, with um, institutions is going to help them to take those data points and be able to translate them into meaningful policy for the betterment of students. Because that's what we're here for. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's interesting that, you know, she, like you mentioned, she talked about the story, which I think is so important to, mm-hmm. to create a story, a story from that. People love stories. I'll listen to a story, but if you give me like data points, it's like, okay, that's not that much fun. I mean, I have to listen. I have to figure it out. But if it's packaged within the story, I think that's very beautiful. And I also really appreciate the fact that she said it's a new day. You know, this coronavirus that was happening now, you know, it could be temporary, but it is going to have a very interesting lasting effect um, uh, for higher education. A lot, a lot of businesses in general. So I think it is a new day and, and folks in higher ed and other businesses are going to have to kind of rethink their strategies and figure okay. out, you know, how to move forward. So I really yeah. appreciate that. So thanks, guys. Another fantastic interview. So, Christina, Thank thanks you. for coming along. We appreciate you. So, uh, guys, anything else? No, looking forward to another great uh, interview coming up. Awesome. Same here. All right, everybody. Until next time. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. That's edupexperience.com. And please feel free to rate, review, subscribe, and share this episode. We really, really appreciate your support. You've been listening to The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Joe Lustio, Elizabeth Leiber, and Elvin Freitas.